Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Michael David Clay. The old saying would go, hope is eternal. But as we all know, that isn't always the case. There's many things in life that are discouraging and get us down. Hope by David Feldman, Ph.D., Psychology Today, April of 2022. Hope. The power to access a belief that things can get better no matter the challenges can quite literally change the world. Few people would use the word hopeful to describe the state of our world today. But we also know that hope can exist even in the midst of pain. Essayist and activist Rebecca Solnit wrote, Your opponents would love you to believe that it's hopeless that you have no power, that there's no reason to act, that you can't win. Hope is a gift you don't have to surrender, a power you don't have to throw away. Real hope is no delusion. It isn't about living in a fantasy world, and it doesn't deny suffering and pain. In our book, Super Survivors, my co-author and I profiled survivors of trauma who went on to do things that made the world a better place. A through line in their stories was what we called grounded hope. Even though all of them exemplified a forward-looking spirit, they were firmly grounded in the realities of their situation. When James Cameron, the only survivor of a 1930 lynch mob, established the first NAACP chapter in Anderson, Indiana, and ultimately founded America's Black Holocaust Museum, he wasn't under any illusion that the world was a wonderful place. His hope was fueled by a belief that despite the resistance he would face, his hard work could help build a better life for black Americans. At its heart, hope is a perception, but one that gives us the power to create reality. It's a perception of something that does not yet exist. And research shows that when people have hope, their goals are actually more likely to become reality. That's because when people have a clear belief about what is possible, they're more likely to take steps to make it happen. You may have heard the expression, hope is not a strategy. Don't believe it. Hope is a way of thinking that pushes us to take action. Research by C.R. Snyder found that most hopeful people had three things in common. Goals, pathways or strategies, and agency. They were under no illusion that all their strategies would work. They tended to try multiple pathways, realizing that many would be blocked. But they persisted because they had an abiding belief in themselves and their capabilities. It's tempting to lose hope today, but that would be surrendering a vital power. Again, hope. The power to access the belief that things can get better no matter the challenges can quite literally change the world by David Feldman, Ph.D. So, hope is personal. It starts with the individual and the individual's perception. And what that perception is grounded in or made up of, their paradigm, the way they look at life, speaks often to whether or not there is a certain element or that certain element of hopefulness. Obviously, we're not all born with (laughs) negative, discouraged sort of beliefs, negative paradigms about the world. 
Most of those come from our experiences soon after birth. Uh, There's many things that come along, all of which could have some element of pain attached to them. Hope, however, is not predicated upon simply an avoidance of pain or even trying to pretend that pain doesn't exist or that there's certainly enough things in life that bring about some discomfort or discouragement to steal away some of not only our innocence, but in that our hopefulness for the future. But hope is what you do with those situations. And what you do with those situations, or at least based upon what you do with those situations and your experiences with such. But many, if not most, of our attitudes about life and overcoming those kind of trials and struggles, uh, those that otherwise would represent some dimension of hopelessness, is predicate probably as much on what we see, what we're taught, what we learn. And who might we learn from but those individuals that are principally and primarily there responsible for teaching us. Usually it's the family constellation, uh, mom, dad, brothers, sisters, uh, neighbors, extended family, community we live in, city we live in, etc., etc., But as much as all of that would go into what we see life to be, even if it were to be, (laughs) we really weren't given much in the way of optimism, or even if there was even uh, certainly more so, additionally so, some pessimistic view of life that we were taught, we can't override that. But we have to be aware of that first. We have to understand what filters we have been given and what lenses, if not general lens, we look at life through. And that really is our perception. It is perspective. It is coming from us, thinking that then the world is pretty much the same for most of us, more or less. Taking into account some maybe have lesser struggles than others. But in the end, I think we all probably would agree that for most of us, there is a common dimension of reality. It's going to have pains along the way. Uh, We're going to have to learn from our mistakes, growing pains. Uh, We'll have to endure or uh, survive. Even others' mistakes, sometimes there's natural dimensions and elements that are beyond our control that set us back or would get in the way of our accomplishment of dreams, ideals. Maybe it's just our accomplishment of life. But presuming that we can't control too much of that or any more of that than is within our control or given to us to control, it's what we do with it. It's how we perceive those struggles, how we look at those circumstances and situations, how we indeed problem solve, how we align resources. First, I suppose, identify those resources and align them in such a way as to advantage from what resources are present. Whether we look at the deficits versus the surpluses, the positives, 
over the negatives. All of that plays into our perspective. There is, once more, a social dimension, but by the time we get to adulthood, by the time we get to a point of understanding really what true agency is about, which means, for the most part, others aren't making those appraisals for us, decisions for us, it's up to us. We're independent of others in a good sort of way, not completely, totally. Again, not without some opportunity to, uh, as with resource, support others and have others there to support us. Again, family, neighbors, brothers, sisters, extended community. All of those things I mentioned a moment ago as possible sources of the negative, but also the positive. We can shape our future by working together collaboratively. But we all have to make a choice or decision. It comes back to us to have to make a choice or decision whether we're going to see it positively or negatively. Now, whether or not the world is, in general, a positive or negative place, maybe that plays into it some. I would like to say this, though as much maybe neutral, possibly seen as nothing more or nothing less, than what it is, and again, universally, more, less, more or less. We all have somewhat the same experiences, certainly in terms of survival and the losses that we might see along the way, and even to some extent, the kind of finality that goes with accepting that we have a limited time (laughs) in some sort of human dimension or reference. However, life is probably in and of itself a positive proposition. I I think I can make the case for that pretty easily or pretty readily. Uh, It's all about creativity. It's all about change. It's all about transformation. And as I make that case, I'm framing it within a positive context an optimistic or hopeful sort of narrative within an optimistic and hopeful narrative that I choose to see life in. If I look at it that way, then anything that I give up is an opportunity for something to be gained. Anything that changes is probably a good thing if what I had wasn't the best or maybe it was for whatever reason at one point useful and maybe good or maybe even seen as the best, there may be something better or it may have to be sacrificed based on, once again, factors beyond my control, the contingencies that I'm given in life, the circumstances of my life, things that happen to me, things that occur that I have no control over. Maybe, again, it's something that I need to learn. It's personal development. I think everything in life has a dimension of personal development attached to it. But it's also done within the context of other people's, not only development, but adapting. I have to adapt. People around me have to adapt. If I see that in a constructive dimension or manner or way then I'm most likely or more likely, most likely to see it positively, to see it within this aspect of creativity, this way of looking at it that allows me to see the exchange to have a potential for something better to come out of it. 
On the other side, though, I certainly can see things equally based on my experiences, what I've been taught, what others around me believe, the culture I was brought up in. I can see it negatively. It's the same thing, (laughs) but I'm choosing. If I'm choosing to see it positively, then I'm optimistic, hopeful. But if I fall into the trap of seeing it negatively, if I see it as fatalistic, as I see it as all loss, if I only fixate upon the losses, focus upon the losses, I'm probably then going to continue to reinforce a narrative that isn't really one of creativity, or if it is, it's expendability. (laughs) It's not an advantage to me. I'm expendable. Uh, I really don't gain in an overall sort of way from my experiences, either developmentally, as with personal, once again, personal development, virtue, character. I get good at adapting. I get good at taking, or better, at taking my experiences, what the contingency of of my life would come to, and making them, in that same sort of creative way, into something positive. Or I look at it all as, I had it and somebody took it from me. I had accomplished something and now, look, it's all gone. And I know that that seems overly simplistic, and maybe in a day-to-day, moment-by-moment sort of dimension or way of looking at it. It is. But if you add all of that up, and if the default tends to be toward the negative rather than the positive, all you're going to get then, in the end, is more of the same. Either way, (laughs) toward the negative, which would not be good. It would steal your hope. It would represent... Again, a focus upon discouragement, malcontent, discontent. But even in malcontent and discontent, if you look at it as with creativity, as with that transformation, that change, that exchange that sort of defines all of natural life, all of material existence, it's all process-driven. Something is coming out the other side of what goes in, It's changed and comes out in some different sort of way. But isn't that one of the more redeemable aspects of existence? We're not bound. It's not fatalistic. If it is, it's possibly us making it fatalistic. Even the notion that within human dimension there's an end, (laughs) materially, to the self... To one's life, there's only so many years, so many experiences you can put into those years, so much you can do with what you've been given, do with, as to what you've been given. But even then, it doesn't mean that when our time, in human regards, kind of ends, or time as we would measure it humanly, ends, doesn't mean that that doesn't represent a beginning of sorts. We just aren't always sure what that is. Some might be inclined to think of it in this way and some in that way, but certainly all the things that we are in regards to or in context to life and the processes that define life and those things that bring things to life and energy and resource and even as material existence is constantly being changed and shaped, 
It's not death. It's not terminal. It's not the end. It's the beginning. But that's a matter of perception. I want to take a moment, remind you, our listeners, you're listening to Word with Michael David Clay. So how does this translate to helping others who have fallen into the trap? Maybe too much idealism, because I do believe that people can get, at times, a bit out there, even if it's toward the positive, and have to then sort of make a somewhat abrupt or difficult shift back to more the center where reality sort of exists or taking into account loss as an element of all life as much as gain. You can't live and gain all the time and you have to come to terms with loss. It's called grief. (laughs) It's a process in and of itself. There's usually a loss. There's some denial. There's some emotional reaction. And then there's what we're doing right now, sorting it out. But whether it's complicated bereavement or the idea that grief can stack or losses stack and if people don't stay current and keep up with them and work through them, then maybe that in and of itself tends to move everything toward a negative outcome or at least paradigm or worldview or perception, steals your hope, renders you hopeless, results in more discouragement. I think in a very practical way, too, you could look at just our reactions biochemically, emotionally, psychologically, with biochemistry and and emotions included. Uh, Fight or flight, the emotional thinking that we go through when presented with threat, the idea of trauma, and with that becoming stuck, not being able to process through in an emotional sort of way or cognitive sort of way, to be able to engage in more constructive, rational, reasoned, logical sort of interpretations of why we lost or what the demand was or how to overcome that so that it either doesn't happen again unnecessarily or when it does happen again, how to get through it efficiently. Once more, to look at resources, where our supports come from. Many people end up in a place, not only where there's loss, not only where there's, again, some emotional reaction, biochemical reaction of fight or flight, emotional thinking, defensiveness, that stage of grief, anger, anxiety, but they never make it to a point where they understand how to find the consolation, to look for the supports from others, the emotional supports from others, uh, the ability to sit down with someone and to talk it through. They close off. They're in denial, which is again a stage of grief, where they really don't want to address those things. And instead of addressing them, they further compartmentalize. Or in that denial, they wall off certain memories in hopes that they won't have to think about it again. Or it's just once more reflexive, reactive. I don't want to, and so I'm not going to think about. I'm not going to subject myself, put myself in those experiences. Most of those individuals, though, over time, probably run an increased risk of emotional problems. They run the risk of 
somehow delaying either their development overall, that sense of confidence, self-esteem that goes with being your own person, your own agency, making your own choices, coming up with these strategies, these ways, the sense that I do have an option. Once more, it's what I do with it. Maybe that's the only option. Maybe preemptively in some sort of a preventative sort of context or framework, I can save myself, spare myself, maybe others of having to go through unnecessary losses. I can learn from. That's part of adapting, adaptability. It's a hallmark, I think, of humankind to this extent. We have been, evolutionary terms, very successful as a species. We've been given an ability to conceptualize, to certainly have necessary emotional reactions, but to also, once we can settle back down or find some place of some security, if we choose to, if we don't resort to entirely avoiding it altogether, we can learn from our mistakes. We can learn from things that even weren't mistakes. Uh, We can test, we can... rationalize, reason, we can inductively, deductively put information together, coming up with theories and theorem as to how to do life better. And it becomes part of us in an operational sort of way interacting with the world. But if we allow it to turn itself more toward avoidance, We see it in such a pessimistic or fatalistic way that we believe or come to believe that there really isn't any use, that we can't overcome it, that we can't and really don't have any power to change it. We can't change it, have no power to change it. We don't operate, once more, with some sense of agency or autonomy, independence even. We're going to find ourselves sort of fulfilling that narrative. Once again, in my business, we call it self-fulfilling sort of prophecy. More of that's going to come to us than probably what would otherwise randomly have occurred. So for me, when someone comes in and begins to speak to me about circumstances and situations and factors and elements of their life, all of which are kind of representative of those contingencies I mentioned earlier. And I understand how they put them together and try to apply a more objective perspective myself, perception. always mix that with hope. I try to tell them. Life is in general a proposition of creativity if you choose to see it that way. That change is challenging and seems to always come with some degree of pain, discomfort, some more, some less, times more, times less. But if we understand and embrace that that is then representative of the potential for something even better to come out of it, and even should it be that materially it's maybe not a whole lot better or measurably so better, In terms of our adaptability, we can get better. That's a skill set. And I try to teach them. 
Try to show them. Try to lead them. Try to direct them. Try to encourage them to face the emotions and to facilitate that processing. That cognitive sorting it out, reasoning it out. Whether it's all grief or not, I'm not sure. Some would disagree. Some don't see that model as entirely useful. But I think it's pretty universal. And so once we get past their tendency to avoid or run away from the feelings, or if we give permission to express those feelings in a safe and secure environment, we begin to realize, okay, well, there's those feelings, but what good does that do us? It doesn't do us any good if it causes us to run away or avoid. But even if we should choose to pursue It proves to us, once we deal with it, that it doesn't kill us. It doesn't destroy us. That there's a tomorrow. And not only is there a tomorrow, as in future-oriented sort of way of addressing life with some expectations that can be better than even neutral, possibly see it within that optimistic, hopeful, creative context. If I can assist them in engaging in that, with that paradigm in place, then the problem solving, the sorting it out, the brainstorming even, to come up with possible solutions, as well as the right motive to go out and try to implement, to try to, in some ways, exercise your agency or your choice to do things differently, indeed could prevent may be preemptive in preventing another loss, but even if it doesn't prevent another loss, or maybe it prevents that from happening again, as much as we're assured that loss is part of life, then you get better at dealing with loss. You get better at addressing it. You're less apt to become discouraged. Now, is all depression, all behavioral health sort of Disorder caused by something like this? I don't think so, but you could, again, make probably a strong argument that if you're inclined to think this way, it probably doesn't assist or help to mitigate any sort of predispositions. Genetically, physiologically, biochemically, or even sociologically. That old idea of nature versus nurture, it's both. But if we have some opportunity to gain an awareness of the choice, to explore it a bit, to postulate or come up with some sort of theory or idea of a way to maybe change the circumstance, why wouldn't we do it? Why why wouldn't we exercise that? And... It's entirely possible as well that that may change the future. It may give us a good basis for hoping that the future will be better. Because it seems like if we shift it that way enough, if we adopt that paradigm as part of who we are, our identity... Rather than seeing ourselves as failures or within the context of a failure identity, maybe we can begin to see ourselves as winners. 
I know that that may not be a very popular way of looking at it in today's world because it seems to imply that we're better than others. I don't know that that's true, but I do think you get better results if you see it as the success, the win, means that you'll get better at living life. Maybe changing or allowing the malcontent, discontent, the loss, the hurt, the anger, the anxiety, maybe allowing it through some release of the emotions, that those stages of grief, into that place of processing cognitively, through discussing, problem-solving, analytics, analyzing the data, coming up with then possible remedies, solutions, maybe some remediation, some way to go back and change the past a bit, or at least the ill effects of whatever's happened in the past. That might not be bad, even if someone would describe it as winning or success. That's really adapting. That's adaptability. And that's what people should get when they come see someone like me. There's healthy respect for things that are otherwise beyond your control, uh, things that you can't change. But our hope is not based on necessarily so much the things that we can't control, but that there's plenty of things that are within our control. And the most powerful one is our perception, our confidence in ourselves, our attitude about life, whether we're expecting something good or have come sadly so, regretfully so, or in sadness and regrets to see life as a disappointment. It's a changing of that lens and that filter. But should it be easier for me to say to change that or to change the physiology? Should it be easier for me to suggest we can alter that or the circumstances of your life? I think we'll have much better, again, success as it would be turned to the win of adapting simply by reframing it, looking at it in a positive light, a positive perspective. That's my hope, is to offer you hope, or a person hope, you hope as a podcast listener, but anyone who comes to see me. That yes, this has happened, we need to validate that, we need to at least allow those feelings and emotions that go along with loss to be validated. But it's not living in that, it's what we can do with that and how we can influence out of a personal perspective, a personal resource perspective. I possess the greatest resource. (laughs) I'm the source of hope. (laughs) There can be others that come along to try to encourage me, such as, again, I'm explaining that's my job, my role oftentimes when it comes to helping people. But I'm no substitute for you. You possess the power to frame the future and to interpret whatever happens in the most positive and, with that, not too realistic of ways. You can't do everything, and there's many things that you can't change, but you can always change your reaction. And if you can learn, develop, grow, mature along the way so that you get good at, 
best you can be with that skill set of living life, do it. It's a good thing. So, going back to the article, Hope by David Feldman. The power to access a belief that things can get better no matter the challenges can quite literally change the world. Well, it may not change the world, but it certainly can change your world and influence the people around you. That's the intention of the podcast, is me to offer hope or encouragement. And should I be doing that, as my intention would be, I would want to invite you back to our next podcast of Word with Michael David Clay, where we'll continue to try to see the world in hopeful terms. Until then, good health and good mental health.